Would you turn in your Bibles, please, back to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 8. Luke, chapter 8, today we'll be considering together verses 16 to 21. Okay, Jesus has just finished telling and interpreting the parable of the seed in the soils. And he continues to speak to his word-hungry disciples. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have spoken it to us and it has been written down and preserved for us. We are so rich in our generation for the abundance and the availability of the Word of God, I pray, Father, that we would not be those who are guilty of taking your word for granted. I pray that we would not be those who set it aside every week and neglect your truth. I pray, Father, that it would be our meditation day and night. I pray that we would be those, Father, who hear and who do your word, and we will be by your grace. It's all by your grace, for your honor and your glory. In Jesus, Father, we are praying that you would give to us your spirit so that we could hear his word and obey him faithfully from the heart. In his name, amen. Almost uh, two years ago now, uh, I was looking for a copy of the bulletin real quick. That's okay, I don't need it. Um, almost two years ago now, we, we set up our church website and we got it running. And it's been a, a good investment for us. Um, it's pretty rare that a day goes by that there's not someone somewhere looking at the church website. About, I think it averages around 400 to 500 page views uh, per month. That's not people or visits to the site. That's individual page views. But anyway, so it's been a good investment for us. And one of the things that Sheree and I took quite a bit of time in planning and executing was the church logo. We wanted something that would really represent us well. So it had to be something simple because we're simple. It couldn't be something you know that was flashy or over the top. It had to be something significant and not light. And it had to be something specific and not just generic. We wanted to make a statement, a specific statement, about the Bible and what we believe about the Bible in our church logo. So we set up those parameters, and, and then we got at it. And uh, with a lot of patience, 
on Cherie's part, we came up with this logo. I'm always depending on Cherie for patience, and she nearly always comes through. Uh, but this is the logo that we came up with. And you can see it on the church bulletin because when it came up on the site, we put it on the, the revised and less expensive bulletin than what we used to have. Um, so you can see that logo. You have an open Bible. And on that Bible, from that Bible, there grows a single stalk of a plant. Um, design-wise, the, the, the stalk of the plant replaces the, the crease of the Bible. But it is growing from the Word. It's a, it's a young plant that's growing. And this represents who we are. This represents what we believe. It's, it's simple and it's significant, but it's also specific what we believe about the Word of God. We have life in God's Word. And there is no life apart from God's Word. So we aim to be rooted deep in God's book. And from that book we aim, with that book we aim to be reaching out to those who are lost around us. We don't have life apart from this book. In God's Word we're planted. By God's Word we are growing. And from God's Word we're bearing fruit. This is our conviction. It's at the core of this church. It's at the core of my heart. And really, it's it sounds strange for a book to talk about itself. It it would it seems strange on the surface for a book to claim certain significance for itself, but the Bible over and over again speaks of its significance for mankind. We don't have life. Apart from God's word, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, right? That's what the Bible claims for itself. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, the word of the cross is the power of God. We were born again, not by perishable seed, but by imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you, preached to us. Now, if you believe these things, that our life is in God's word, then I would think that you can see the the benefit and the wisdom in planning. I'm going to stress this again as I did last week planning your Bible reading for 2016. What we don't plan remains unfulfilled. I was thinking this past year at the the beginning of last uh, 2015, you know, that I was going to do something with our car, either get it fixed or get it junked and I wasn't, didn't have a real solid plan or a schedule or anything like that, so it sat there doing nothing for 10 months, I guess it was, until finally we did junk it. Meanwhile, I was paying insurance on it every month. It was foolish, but this is, this is human nature. What we don't plan for remains unfulfilled. And if you think that your studies in the Bible are going to be especially sweet and especially rich this year without a plan, I'm sorry, but it ain't going to happen. 
This is human nature. Please do not think that you are the exception to that. Priorities that don't show up in your plans will not be prioritized very long. There will be all kinds of passing things. The passing things of this world that press in on you. And if you don't prioritize the Word of God, then what's going to end up happening is that we pass on God's Word. And we allow those passing things, the truly passing things, to take over our lives. Here in Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 21, Jesus calls on us to take care how we hear God's Word. That's the first three verses. Take care how you hear the Word of God. And in the final three verses, 19 to 21, we are to take care that we do the Word of God. Jesus calls on us to take care how we hear and to take care that we do it. It's significant. It's very, it's noteworthy that no one puts a higher priority on the Word of God than Jesus the Son of God. No one puts higher priority on the Bible than Jesus, and no one, we're going to see in the last three verses, has more affection for those who obey the Word than Jesus does. Before we get into these verses, let's um, look at the context again. The context is going to be very important for us understanding verses 16 to 21. Again, Jesus has just finished telling the parable of the seed and the soils. Three kinds of bad ground are exposed in the parable. The hard, the shallow, and the infested. These are three hearts that are being exposed. And in particular, he says that pain is going to expose the shallow heart and pressing things And pleasurable things are going to expose the infested heart. And all of these things, the pain, the pressing, and the pleasurable, are all passing things. It's passing things. The things that are temporary, that is passing away, that keep the Word of God from embedding itself in us and establishing deep roots and producing the abundant fruit. So what we must have is the good soil heart because it's only the good ground that is penetrable and is plowed clear of all obstructions. Which kind of ground is your heart most like? Then again, Jesus speaks to his disciples, his word-hungry disciples. And I want to... Read verses 16 to 18 again quickly. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now, up front, I want to tell you that there is a lot of various opinion on what these particular verses mean, and that's for good reason. Because each one of these three sayings, in verses 16 to 18, each one of these three sayings is a common saying of Jesus that he repeated on 
various occasions in various contexts. So if you look back down at your Bible, the saying of verse 16 is also spoken in Matthew 5, verse 15. The saying in verse 17 here is also spoken in Matthew 10, verse 26. And the saying of verse 18 is also used in Matthew 13, verse 12. And just as I run through different passages, not consecutive verses in Matthew, you can see that Jesus used these sayings in various contexts. So that the sayings, this is important, the sayings are proverb-like. So that they will, they can be employed with different shades of meaning depending on the occasion and depending on that context. So how can we understand how Jesus is using these sayings, what he means by them in this passage? By the context. We can know what Jesus means here by what he says here, by what comes after, verses 20 to, to uh, verse 19 to 21 and especially by what he has already said in the parable and in his interpretation of it. Verse 10 in particular is something we're going to look back on in the next couple of verses to help us understand what Jesus means here. Okay, verse 16 first. In Matthew 5, I said verse 16 is also spoken in Matthew 5.15. In Matthew 5, the light on a stand saying has a very clear meaning. It's a missionary meaning. I'll read that to you. It's, it's clear. Jesus says there, People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Very clear missionary meaning. But let us pay attention to the context of Luke 8. Jesus, just before Jesus interpreted the parable of the seed in the soils, he told his disciples in verse 10 that through the parables, he would reveal the mysteries of the kingdom to his own. And through those same parables, he would conceal those mysteries from others. So in the parable, in that interpretation Who is the revealer of the truth? Jesus is. Jesus is the revealer. In in the parable, who is the sower of the seed? Jesus is. And truth be told, not only is Jesus the sower of the seed, but he's the seed itself. Because the word of God concerns him. And so in this next verse, verse uh, 16 here, who is the one who lights the lamp? The same who sows the seed. Jesus is the lamp lighter, and he is also the light because it concerns him. And he wants you and he wants me to enter into the word that we may behold the light. It is not the desire of your Lord that your Bible remain closed on the shelf, or on the floorboard of your car, or whatever, for 2016. It's the desire of your Lord that your Bible be open throughout this year, and throughout the course of your life. Where else will we go? 
to see the glory of God shining. Where else can we go to see the light of the glory of God except in this word which speaks to us of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 17, we have another common saying. And this one is used in multiple contexts with a variety of meanings. Jesus says again here, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Jesus actually repeats the saying later on in chapter 12 of Luke. And then again, as I said earlier, also in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Um, quickly, let me mention, I, I know this can we can get bogged down in these details, but I, I, I want to help you to understand what he means here. Um, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus was saying that the hypocrisy of the self-righteous would come to light and be judged. So in Luke 12, it has a, a judgment meaning. In Matthew 10, Jesus is urging his disciples to proclaim in the open what they have heard in secret. So there again, there is a missionary meaning. What does Jesus mean here? Well, let's, let's again, like we did for verse 16. Now in verse 17, let's go back to verse 10. Again, Jesus is speaking the mysteries of the kingdom in parables, graciously revealing those mysteries to those who believe and justly concealing those mysteries from those who do not believe. And then in verse 17, he promises that one day the hidden will be made manifest and the secret will come to light. In other words, no matter how deep the world's unbelief, no matter how great the world's opposition, the word of God will be vindicated. All of God's revelations will come to light. There is not a truth claim that will be disproven. There is not a promise he makes that will be overturned. God who has spoken will do it. That's our God. He is faithful. Just as sure as that widow's son was raised from death by the word of Christ, so all that God speaks by his son is coming to pass. What the world is blind to now, they are going to see. What the world resists now is coming to pass. They may size up the kingdom of God as the smallest of seeds, but it's going to be the greatest of trees. The man that they scoff is the king most high. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that this Jesus of Nazareth is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The world stands in mockery of you and me, thinks that we're foolish to believe in Christ, to follow him by denying ourselves and taking up our cross. But the Bible promises that the least of these will inherit the earth and sit with Christ on his throne. These are the grand claims and the promises of the word of God. And the world can't see it. And the world resists it. But it's all coming to pass. The word of God will be vindicated. There was once a Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Most of you are probably familiar with that name. Who gave the glory to himself 
when he attributed to his own power all that he had built. And God humbled him to the dust, in fact, even to insanity. When he restored, when God restored him, this is what that king said. The Most High does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand. This is our God. This is the power of His Word. In the end, in His time, the Word of God will be vindicated. All that is hidden will be manifest. What is secret will come to life. And so I just want to encourage every heart here that is feeling weak and weary through trials and difficulties. This is still your God. You are His and He is yours. He beckoned you into the bond of His love and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. You will never be outside no matter how distant you might feel, how separated you might feel through various painful circumstances, you are never outside of the love of God. In fact, the Bible says, the Bible says the most amazing things that we don't repeat very often because those things that will one day be manifest even feel sometimes hidden to us. The Bible says all things are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. We must be encouraged. The Word of God will be vindicated in the grand scheme of history and in your life personally. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. If Jesus is giving us the mysteries of the kingdom, which mysteries will all be brought to light? If all these promises will be fulfilled, not a jot unfulfilled, not a word returning to Him void, then, this is where we're going in verse 18, then take care how you hear. Take care then how you hear His revelation. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. I want to sound from verse 16 a very strong warning. What does this look like? That the end of verse 18, from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. I think we can know exactly what this looks like by the parable Jesus has just told. Because there is a time when the shallow heart and there is a time when the infested heart seemed to have the Word of God. They seemed to possess it. But it's only for a while. Just like the shallow soil in the infested soil appear to have the seed. It's only for a while. And what life you see there is not going to last. The farmer is not going to have any fruit from that ground. And Christ is not going to have any fruit from that life. And the time will tell. Time will tell. The day of judgment will declare it. Just like a rose is, that's cut from the branch appears to be so beautiful and appears to be so lively, 
once it's cut from that branch, it's dead. Time will tell. Time will tell. And it's the same way with those who make false professions of Christ. Those who have the shallow hearts and the infested hearts. On the day of judgment, all of those false professions and all of those shows of zeal are going to be exposed for what they are. That they are false. Those who don't truly possess the Word will be cast from the presence of God's joys into the fires of His judgment. There, their true colors are going to show. All of the self-absorption, all of the world obsession, and all of the true, in fact, Jesus hatred is going to show. It's going to come out and those people will suffer under the wrath of the King forever. Take care how you hear, Jesus says. Take care how you hear. So we need to examine how we've been hearing the Word. And we need to be careful how we hear the Word of God even today. Such is the nature of the human heart that even sitting under the sound of this warning right here, right now, in this place, it is still very possible for people hearing this warning to brush this off and to dismiss it. We must take care. We must give ourselves to the Word and give ourselves to the God of the Word without restraint. This is His promise. After, while we covered the warning first, let's go back and look at the promise. He says, He promises you, to the one who has, more will be given. This is an incredible promise and a great encouragement to us. To the one who has, more will be given. Do you have? In 2016, you can look forward to be given more. That's His promise. The more that you seek, His glory in the face of His Son, the clearer God will make your vision. The better He will make your vision. The more you feed the fires of your love with His Word, the more God will give you to keep that fire ever burning and ever growing. You keep digging deeper down, and the deeper down He's going to enable you to go to discover more of His glory in the treasure of His Son, so that the more you scoop up the treasures of Christ, the more room your heart will have to hold. That's the promise of God. To the one who has, more will be given. What what a motivation this is. I think verses 17 and 18 are such strong motivation for us. How we handle the Bible, the Word of God. All of these mysteries, they'll be manifest. They are coming to light. These great things that the world dismisses. We have this. We have this in our hearts. It's been revealed to us. God has given us faith to believe these things. This is what all of our hope is staked upon. So now let us take care how we continue to hear. In verses 19 to 21, let's read these again. 
Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. His own family was kept back at a distance because of the crowd. They couldn't break the press. Jesus doesn't mean here that Mary is not his true family. At this point, his brothers did not believe. Uh, They weren't true family. Jesus is not saying that Mary, who does believe, is not true family. He is saying, though, that to be true family, she has to become true family the same way that everyone else does. Her son must become her Lord. What John the Baptist said in, about his relationship to Jesus, Mary could say as well. John said, He who is after me is before me because he was before me. Mary could say the same. He who came after her is before her and above her because he is before her. Her son had to be her Lord if she would be his true family. Now I want to ask about this text a couple of very important questions. Is Jesus saying that we become his family by doing his word? Is Jesus saying we become his family by doing his word? Yes and no. It all depends on what we mean by doing his word. If by doing his word we mean that we must obey the command of the gospel and repent of our self-righteousness and our self-rule and trust in Christ, then yes, we become his family by doing his word. We must obey the gospel. Um, Paul talked in Romans 1 about the obedience of faith in regard to the gospel. But if, on the other hand, If by doing his word we mean obeying his law, rendering good works, then no, we do not become his family by doing his word. Okay, let's try to make this a little clearer with our second question. How does Jesus distinguish his family from those who do not belong to him? Those who do his word are his family. And those who don't do his word are not his family. It is true that no one is Jesus' family by their good works. But at the same time, it's also true that no one is Jesus' family without good works. Anybody have an amen in their hearts? I hope so. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. I want you to consider these verses. They're familiar, so I'm not going to ask you to turn there. Paul wrote, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's clear, no one becomes Jesus' family member By doing good works. By good works, okay? 
But then verse 10, that was Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But then verse 10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And there you have it, and it is all over the New Testament. There are many scriptures that we could cite this morning. We do not belong to Him by good works, but we belong to Him for good works. No one is Jesus' family because of good good works, but no one is His family without them either. Again, this is all over the New Testament. An example, Philippians 2. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He has redeemed for Himself a people zealous for good works. We can, as God's people, do good works. We are doing these good works in Christ, by the Spirit, and for the glory of God. And by the Spirit, we may do the good works which are pleasing to God. Now surely we know that every one of our good works is tainted by impure motivation that sometimes we don't even recognize. But because in Christ, all of that tainting is forgiven, what is of Christ, which He works in us to will and to do, our good works genuinely are accepted and pleasing to God. No one is God's family by good works, but we are His family for good works. All throughout this gospel so far, let me just say quickly that I hope you're spending some extra time in Luke's gospel apart from our time together on Sunday mornings to keep its message in your heart, to have Luke by the Spirit keep pounding away on you. It's amazing to see when you, when you see the sum of it, you know, consecutively week by week, he's pounding away with the authority of the Word of Christ. Why? Why is Luke doing this? He, he says that at Christ's Word, the demons are overcome. He says damnation is overturned and even death is reversed. And in the next passage we're going to look at, we're going to see Jesus speak into the deep, rebuking the wind and the waves. All at His Word, these displays of power. So, right in the middle of this, displays of the authority of the Word of Christ, Jesus probes us and He tests us to see how we are responding to the authority of His Word. And He exposes our hearts. Luke keeps speaking of the authority of Christ's Word so that we would truly take care how we personally are hearing it and how we as a church are hearing His Word and so that we would take care that we do His Word. I don't know if it's sung so much around here, that old Sunday school song, the B-I-B-L-E. I see nods. Okay, so the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. Let's not just make that our profession. The Bible, that's the book for me. Let's hear it like it's the book for us. 
And let's do it like it's the book for us. Because if our practice is different from our profession, then our profession is just hollow. And we don't truly possess the word and it doesn't truly possess us. And I think that you believe, just as I believe, that all of our life is here. We live according to this word and we have no life with God apart from this word. I pray that you believe that with all your heart. So let us take care how we hear the word and take care that we do it. Let's pray. Father, your word, there is no more valuable thing that we can put our hands on, no more precious thing than we can read, no more powerful, life-giving thing that we can meditate upon. I pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us, plowing up our hearts to be good ground, your word of truth would embed itself in us and establish deep roots and take us over so that the fruit of our lives would be according to your word and would bring you true glory. Father, I am quite certain that there will be some in here who will look back on this past year and say that they did not take care how they heard. And they didn't take great care to do. Father, we thank you for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, upon which he died. There he took the penalty of our deafness, and our disobedience. There he paid the debt. There he announced it is finished. So Father, there is nothing we can do to pay this debt. It is paid. And we thank you for that. And I pray now with boldness, with confidence, and with all joy, we would return, every single one of us, to being very careful how we hear and that we do what you have said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.